I'm Carrie Miller, and this is my Friday book show, Big Books and Bold Ideas. The idea for this last book show of 2021? Invite writers who also own bookstores to share the titles they loved most, the titles they simply had to put in the hands of eager customers. Later, you'll hear Louise Erdrich. You may know that along with being a Pulitzer Prize-winning best-selling author, Louise owns Birchbark Books in Minneapolis. And her new novel, The Sentence, is set in a bookstore that closely resembles Birchbark and features the ghost of a customer who simply won't leave. Now here's a hint. One of Louise's favorite books is by a writer who told me at Talking Volumes that she's thinking about opening a bookstore. So that's later in the show. But we begin with Ann Patchett. She's the author of Bel Canto, State of Wonder, one of my all-time favorite books, and many other novels. She also owns Parnassus Books in Nashville, Tennessee. And she says that being a bookseller has made her a wider and more curious reader. When she's come to the fits for talking volumes, she often brings a book along, something she loves by a different author to share with the audience. So when I asked her what her customers at Parnassus would want from her as a writer who sells books, she had a very interesting answer. What my mind goes to when you say that, what they want from me, they want a hug. (laughs) It's so (laughs) physical. It's so physical. So many people come to that store because they want to see me, which is crazy. You know, uh, somebody will say, we came from Sweden to see you. And I'm like, (laughs) what made you think I was going to be here today? You know, I'm not here all the time. Uh, But every single time I walk out on the floor, there is somebody who has come to see me and what they want. I swear to you, what they want is for me to hold them in my arms. And I do. It's, it's, if, if I was listening to this, I would think that is so crazy. <laughs> and different people really elicit different things. Different authors elicit different responses. And the response that I elicit for whatever reason is just very physical and very warm. People mm-hmm. want to have their picture taken. People, I always say, you know, people want a little snuggle. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's what I do. And I recommend books. Um, I, I, it's like I pack them a lunch and send them on their way into the world. But it's, it's like they've seen me and they want me to see them in return. And, and that's what I was going to ask you. If they are there not just for the experience of being in your presence, and clearly that's why many of them are there, but that they want you to kind of put your hands on some books and say to them, you must read this, and that it's special because it's come from you. Yes. And there is no greater pleasure in the world that is the thing. The, the thing that I love the most about o- owning a bookstore is the staff because this, it's like the bar at Cheers or the coffee shop on Friends. It's, it's the place that you can go and see these people that you love and they're always there. That is a revelation for me 
who hasn't had a lot of experience having regular jobs. Um, but the other thing is the sacred contract with a book that you love is never complete until you can hand that book to somebody else and say, you have to read this. And there are books that are very easy to sell and books that you're going to read anyway. You're going to read The Sentence by Louise Erdrich. You're going to read you're going to read Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. You're going to read O William by Liz Strout. But you might miss The Days of Africat by Asali Solomon, which is a book that came out this fall that I felt so passionately about. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Scientist by Richard Rhodes, which is a biography of E.O. Wilson. And I have always adored E.O. Wilson. That's not a book that your regular fiction reader is necessarily going to put their hands on. So I can say to people here, you know, you might, you might not have seen this one, but this is, this is something that you need to read. The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating. Who knew? Who knew that a very small book about a snail could make all the difference? Is there a book that over the last 18 months, while we've been you know, mostly solitary, out of our routine, staying home, that has been especially comforting to you or something that you, that you found because you had slowed down? You know, you were able to experience the book in a way that maybe you wouldn't have been able to traveling and doing your, your usual things. You know, that's funny because actually traveling is so good for reading. I always say it I'm is. about 20% smarter on a plane to be on this place where the phone never rings and nobody can get me. I, I did an amazing amount of reading while traveling. So it really didn't change. I mean, I'm going to answer not the question that you asked, but it's going to be right next to it. There were two books that I read during the pandemic that I wanted to sell maybe three books, that I just felt like this was the book that people needed. Because what people kept saying is, I want something smart and a little funny that isn't going to crush me. I want a book that's going to be intelligent, but is also going to pull me up. And the books that I gave them that I found that I just, they were the universal donors. Everyone loved them. Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. I don't walk into the bookstore without selling someone a copy of Sorrow and Bliss. Meg lives in Australia. The book is set in London. And I think that there are just a lot more people in Australia and London reading the book than, than have read it here. But it is very moving. It's complex. It has a bad cover. It looks like chiclet. There's nothing chiclet about it, but it made me laugh out loud on every page. Writers and Lovers by Lily King. Uh-huh. Also a book that it was like people would come back and say, yes, this was the book that I could read. I've been so distracted, but this is the book that I could read. And, and Lily's new book, uh, Five Tuesdays in Winter, the collection of short stories that just came out, also excellent. And then a book that's older that I found recently um, by Ross Gay called Book of Delights, in which he writes down something 
every day that he finds delightful in the world. And I would read just one or two of them every night before I went to sleep, and I would have good dreams. It was the most amazing thing. If I could fall asleep every night with Ross Gay's voice in my ear saying, look at this, this is beautiful. That There's nothing better than that. The best book that I've ever received as a gift was a book that you brought to Talking Volumes called Dogs As I See Them by Lucy Dawson. And um, one of my colleagues purchased a copy of it and gave it to me, and then you inscribed it. And I really cherish it. Um, What's the best book as a gift that you've ever received? See, again, I'm I'm not going to say the best book I've ever received, although I just got a copy just like five minutes before this conversation began. I got a copy of Kate DiCamillo's Beatrice Prophecies in a crazy, gorgeous, boxed gift edition. Um, So that was that was really, really good. But see, my bookseller brain always has to tell you the new book that I received that I bought that (laughs) seems like the very best thing. And there are two. Um, One is David Hockney's new book of uh, drawings that he did, paintings that he did um, on his iPad. And it's the catalog from the Royal Academy of Arts, and it's called The Arrival of Spring in Normandy. I can't tell you how many copies of that book that I bought because I want everyone to have it. And then the other one, and I hope you have interviewed Greg Boyle. Have you? Yes, a couple times. Sure you have. He has a new (laughs) book out, The Whole Language, The Power of Extravagant Tenderness. That is a book that I want to put in everyone's hands. Margaret Rankle's new book, Graceland at Last. I mean, those are books that teach us how to be better people, how to be more responsible citizens of the planet. Um, They're so moving. They are so brimming with love and generosity. Yeah, those are the books that I want to make sure that people have because I feel so glad to have them myself. Um, Kate DiCamillo was here for Talking Volumes this season. And um, uh, it it was a lot of fun. But you have an essay uh, about her. And um, I interviewed her on stage and about the new book, The Beatrice Prophecy. And we started talking about how, as, as noted in your essay, she has this extraordinary ability to tell kids the world is a tough place and they're going to be all right. And she described this moment that happened a few years ago, and we pulled a little bit of tape. Um, I'm just curious about what you hear when you listen to this. So let's listen. It was in South Dakota. It was 900 kids in an auditorium. And it doesn't happen all the time, that, but you could feel like these kids, 900 of them, they were so present, and they got it. And, um, and they got this thing about, like, these, these things that seem bad actually 
give you something. And also, I'm standing up here and talking to you about these bad things that happened and telling you that you can be okay. Uh, it was just a, a fabulous group of kids. And I stood um, and uh, at the end of the show and like just talked to them as they exited. They had to get on school buses. And one little boy grabbed my hand. I can't do it. You can. <laughs> um, and said, I'm here... And uh, my my father is in uh, California, and I didn't. I don't know if I'm ever going to see him ag- again. But you said that you're okay, so I know I'm going to be okay. And that that that's what a book can do, though. That's let let me get back on so track because you're very pleased with yourself <laughs> because, <laughs> and I don't like that, Carrie. <laughs> And what do you hear in that? Um, it made me. It certainly made me choke up. Uh, so Kate was visiting a couple of months ago, and she was in the store. And one of the kids who works at the bookstore came in to see her. It was a Saturday. And he, anyway, he was off. But I called him because I knew how much he loved her. And, and he ran over. He and his partner came to the store and he said, you know, the tales of Despero saved my life. That's it. And, and he said it, that's true for so many people. You just know that you saved my life. Um, That is a remarkable thing that she does and that she has the open heartedness both at her desk and in front of people when she meets people and has those moments, she can remain completely and totally open. But, but I think that the lesson is you never know how you affect people's lives. I, I remember once I was at a college and the whole school had read my novel run, which is about, a woman who gives her child up for adoption and what happens to that child. And I was signing and signing. It went on forever. And it must've been 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Girl comes up to me in line and she starts to cry. And she said, I'm a freshman. They mailed us the whole freshman class, this book during the summer. We were supposed to read it. She said, I was pregnant and I was going to give my baby up and come to school and start school as a freshman. And I read your book and I changed my mind and I kept my baby and she's crying. And I stood up and I'm holding this girl and she's crying. And I said, I don't understand this. This is a novel in which the mother gives the child up and the child finds a wonderful home and is really happy. And she looks at me and she said, but the mother wasn't happy. And I just thought, oh, my God, you never know. You never know. And you're not there. Because that's what writing is. I bring half of the story. And then the person who is reading it brings half of the story. And they interpret it however they see fit. And that's where the book is made in that place between me and that young girl and, and between Kate and the boy 
getting on the bus. Ann Patchett, her new collection of essays is titled These Precious Days, and her bookstore in Nashville is called Parnassus. Now to Sarah Rafael Garcia. She's a writer based in Santa Ana, California, and she's a curious and voracious reader, and she created the Libromobile. It's a bookstore, writing workshop space, and art exhibit on wheels. Sarah says she had a specific and historic design in mind for the bookstore. So one of the things when I moved back to my hometown in 2016, I noticed a lot of changes had started, right? And one of the things that... um had happened, our only bookstore prior to Libromobile had closed down in 2015, and that was Libria um, Martinez. And given that it was very much Latinx-centric, like that's what it focused on in Spanish and bilingual books, um, I thought we cannot not have a bookstore, right? And and especially in a generation where we're much more intersectional and there's a lot more books and genres to cover now. Um, and a friend of mine, Delilah Snell, who, who owns Alta Baja Market on La Calle Cuatro, which is 4th Street, she, um, I had moved back and I was living in an apartment, no garden, no, no access to green. And she said, Hey, I have this gardening cart I'm not using. Do you want it? I'm, I'm not a gardener, <laughs> nor did I ever want to be. <laughs> and, and so the first thing I said, sure, but that's not a gardening cart. That's a book cart. Um, <laughs> you knew that immediately. I knew that immediately. And she, and she says, you know, of course it is. <laughs> you know, like, And so we, that's how it started. And I was literally working off of a gardening cart with little cubbies and putting books, you know, planting my own seeds, which were books, um, and, and making books accessible, um, throughout the town that way by popping up at different events or, you know, during art walk and such. And eventually I was able to get a small grant from the city to refurbish it, to make it look more like a book cart and, and intersecting the gardening cart. And, um, and with time we popped up in a stairway at one point for 11 months. Um, and then, uh, after that we were able to get a small storefront, um, which is the warehouse that we're currently in 190 square feet. And we roll out the cart in front of it in the alley because we're in an alley. And then on special events, when we pop up with neighboring folks or in, in downtown, like Alta Baja Market, we have events there. Um, we roll it over there. And now we have several different versions of the book cart. We have four different oh, versions. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, and God. so we have one that literally looks like a, um, a, Paletero cart, which was what, like an ice cream cart that from the folks that roll through the neighborhoods. Um, and so we have that version. We also have like crates on wheels. We officially partnered um, with Antena Mobile, who is a longstanding um, bike project for the last decade, and they are slowing down things. So now I, I am the godmother of Antena Mobile, which is a tricycle um uh, that is like made in the style of of Mexican um, like entrepreneurs on the street in Mexico, which is a tricycle with several shelves, like all metal shelves that you can stock things on to sell. But in this case, it stocks books and it now serves as a li- little free library in the community. 
Do you pedal it around or you have somebody net since you're the godmother? Yeah, that one. <laughs> Does it come to that? Well, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're still in a, in a very urban city that is not super bike friendly. We're working on it. We're getting bike mm-hmm. lanes and stuff like that. Um, so that one sits in what we call the, the Bristol Swap Mall, which is one of the last standing indoor swap meets in, in Santa Ana. Um, and we roll it in there um, and we let it sit there and we go in and steward it per se, right? With young folks that, that take care of it as well as the community and myself. So that one stays still for now. Um, but the other two that are not, do not require me getting on the bike and on the street <laughs> do get pushed through the sidewalk in the streets. <laughs> so creative, Sarah. I love it. It is up and running again. And I've been curious about what happens when you roll into a neighborhood after, I presume, having been gone at least for months during the pandemic. How's it look? Well, there's a lot of changes, good and bad. Um, But I think, you know, we were able to continue to thrive through the pandemic thanks to book lovers out across now we have book lovers that we reach across the US because we were shipping books during the pandemic and they have continued to support us um, we're not shipping as many books as we used to but our our loyal local patrons have returned to visit um, in store as well and when we pop up um, so we we're hanging in there still glad to hear that so what's it like when you pop up and maybe customers haven't seen you, you know, in person for a while. What's the, what's the reunion been like? Well, you know, Carrie, we still man like in our bookstore because we have a tiny bookstore. And then when we're out in public, often it's family friendly events. So we have children present. So we ourselves still require folks to wear a mask um, at our events or when we pop up, if there are folks just passing by and there's no children around, then we, we may be able to have a conversation without a mask on as adults who, you know, most of us have been vaccinated. Um, but I think a lot of them are happy to see us still be um, available to the public. And a lot of folks are just missing the in-person readings and communicating with authors, you know, like in-person versus uh, virtual. Uh, one of the things that we have maintained, though, because we had such a learning curve in, when addressing folks with disabilities and autoimmune issues that we have maintained our presence hybrid, which means like uh, always in person, but also when we have special events, always virtual still. Um, Because we are indebted to the folks who kept us going, who cannot walk into a bookstore on a regular basis um, for their own health reasons. And, and to that, we, I think that was um, something positive that came out of the pandemic for us was learning to be more inclusive of of that population of of readers. So I'm curious about whether you've noticed a change in what people want to read or need to read after we, you know, we've endured this, these months and months of isolation. And boy, California had it, I think, even worse Mm -hmm. than, than we did in the Midwest. And are you still noticing that there is an interest and an appetite 
in a different kind of literature because we've all gone through this experience together. Yes, for sure. I think um, the biggest change is that we have more allies coming into our bookstore and looking to read more narratives by Black, Indigenous, people of color. And what I mean by allies, it's usually white folks, right, um, who are looking um, to educate themselves or just be able to empathize through a, a narrative. And that has been something that has been very telling of the times, right? Because we have always been a bookstore that focuses on Black, Indigenous, people of color, um, books in Spanish, bilingual, you know, social justice and ethnic studies. So it's something we've done from the beginning. But I think um, there's been times, you know, awkward moments with customers like, why don't you have Hemingway? And I'm like, well, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, right? And, but here we have, you know, we have Claudia Rankin, we have Luis Rodriguez. Um, so I think like those conversations have not, have, are no longer awkward. Um, and they uh, happen quite often. And then we have our usual patrons who have always read those type of books and are just, you know, want to be directed to something that brings joy, right? Um, that's not necessarily talking of the of the issues at hand. So, Sarah, are the conversations no with white customers no longer awkward because they're not asking for, you know, the books that you wouldn't typically stock, or we are just in a different place where this can come up more more naturally. Yeah, I think we're just in a different place that things can come up more naturally. I mean, no one can ignore that we lost, um, well, I'm not going to say lost, that George Floyd was murdered, right? And so, um, and recently in our neighborhood, we had uh, a young, you know, Mexican-American man murdered by police as well. Um, and so I think these issues are cannot, can no longer go ignored. Um, and since we sat in our homes during the pandemic, it became more aware we you know people slow down to listen and i think what were the conversations we're having now is that people cannot ignore that this is happening and it has been happening for centuries right <laughs> but i think it's it, it it took a pandemic to slow some people down and actually listen and i think we're seeing in some conversations at the bookstore we're seeing the result in a positive way because of that and i'm glad because sometimes yeah, those conversations uh, can be very difficult and unwelcoming, not from us, but usually from our white counterparts. Um, you know, and, and I think often as a woman of color, I've always get told or get asked, why does everything have to be about race or political issues? And I'm like, well, we're a bookstore. Books have always been political. <laughs> uh, it, it is notable to hear you say that customers in the wake of the killing of George Floyd we're coming in with a more receptive attitude about reading books that you could put into their hands that would address social justice issues, racial division. Tell me what you were, what you and your, your book advisors were hand selling in the wake of those, those tumultuous months after George Floyd's death. I, a lot of folks were looking for Ta-Nehisi Coates as well oh. as Claudia Rankin. Um, and I think more and more folks were also just trying to backtrack and catch up on the books they hadn't read, like anything by Toni Morrison, um, you know, as well as understanding different cultures like the Vietnamese American community in the, in the region, because um, we have, you know, Bolsa, Little Saigon just down the street from us. And, you know, with all, again, with all the uh, negative um, issues happening um, with, you know, 
with the Stop Asian Hate movements, as um, that also became a conversation. So a lot of folks are just playing catch up, right? I, and I think in our last conversation, I had recommended a book to you, which was Passing by Nella Larson, which talks about a lot of yes, and it's now it's a now it's a movie. Yes, I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list. So I I feel that um, folks are are, are now seeing uh, some of these narratives as must reads versus just for that particular ethnicity, right? Um, and I think, um, you know, it's been overdue to do this. And, and, you know, and along with that, like, I think a lot more, um, right. People are paying attention to a lot more, um, authors who were published during the pandemic because one empathy and two, because virtually you can reach more people. So, um, those some of the writers that came out of the pandemic are now doing like a a, a new type of tour, an in person tour versus a virtual tour, and so we're we're still seeing some of those books that were published early on resurfacing into bookstores to do readings and and book book releases. It is great to hear you say there is interest in backlists and historical novels and novels that have maybe been out there with something to say for a couple of decades and that people are willing to mix that Mm -hmm. with the contemporary voices that are speaking specifically to the time we're in. I think that's a great way to, to really understand these tumultuous moments. What, what do you think? I agree. And I have some great recommendations for some of the folks that cross over with past and present. Right. Um, And I think one of the folks that comes to mind is uh, a book, that's titled America in lowercase and then mine in uppercase and it's by Sasha Banks. And that is a poetry book, right? But a poetry book that speaks to the history of this country, um, like a radical conjuring of a post-white supremacist United States. And, and I think that's, you know, that's a quote from the, the, the description of the book, but I think a lot of these folks, again, we, we are no longer un- um, apologizing for, for the history, we're actually confronting it up front. And because, you know, it's still present time issues, not just historical issues. Sarah, I'm noticing that you went to poetry first. Yeah. And and I wonder why. It's softer, right? Um, it's softer. It's concise. Um, regardless of the topic, it gives you insightful moments to ponder versus, um, you know, it, it's kind of like the pandemic. It makes you stop. And mm-hmm. and I think poetry, you know, has always done that for me. And, and I also think it's easier to tell someone to read a few lines than to read a novel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more, it's more, it's more welcoming. And, and some, although some people do say, Oh, I don't read poetry. And I said, well, you just haven't read the right poets yet. <laughs> um, because poetry is an entryway to so many things, whether it's writing your own poetry and your life story or reading more of past poets or reading deeper issues um, on a few pages. And I think to me, that's what, you know, poetry has always been. So I'm always going to start with poetry and, and then go into the longer pieces. Okay, what else do you have for us? Now, I have to tell you, I had no idea before the pandemic who Stephen Graham Jones was. And I have since then fallen in love with everything that he writes. And he's a Native American horror writer. 
Um, and I, the only good Indians came out during the pandemic. But since then, you know, I realized he had several books before it and he's published, um, I think, one or two since then. Uh, and so I think I, I'm really starting to appreciate horror from people of color perspective. And so <laughs> this is not what I expected. I love I know. it. <laughs> what? Okay. How have you built your appreciation for horror from writers of color? I have to say, this is probably a an area of literature I know nothing about. So educate me on this, Sarah. Well, I have I have to give a shout out to my a poet that recommended. Um, to meet Stephen Graham Jones, Monica Teresa Ortiz, who is a poet herself that writes with global issues at hand, but does it so beautifully on the page. So whenever she recommends a book, I, I run with it and I go look for it and I read it. And then I realize, yes, this, of course, this book is great. Um, and I think because it really immerses us into the point of view of that particular ethnicity. And so it's not everything, the horrors that we, um, that the U.S has in media headlines um and inter- is interpreted differently right like uh mm. and i and i think like in one particular um instance in this in this book it's you know he manipulates the fate he fears which is indian man killed in dispute outside bar right um mm-hmm. and i think retelling people's history from their own point of view has more is more impacting even as someone that doesn't identify as that ethnicity, but also the creativity goes much further. It's not your typecasted or stereotypes that we're so used to in mainstream media, right? And another good book that came out during the pandemic that is again a thriller um, is Mexican Gothic by um, Sylvia Moreno Garcia. So good, I've read that. Yeah, and, and I think that's again a, a different perspective. It's not. It, these writers are um, no longer writing, pandering to the the, the white canon, right? They're they're right. taking some of the styles and manipulating them um, to do more. And I really do appreciate um, these th- these writers for doing that because we're no longer just you know as as especially as Lat- as Latinx writers, we're not being typecasted as like magical realism. We're expanding what we can do. Um, with these different genres. So just a a question about um, Stephen Graham Jones. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've gone into his backlist and there is a pretty good backlist of novels. So if you fall in love with with this current novel, you can find a pretty good backlist to dive into, yeah? Yeah, he has a lot of books and um, some dating as, I think, as far as back, let me look at some of these. I think some dating as far back as 2008. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I love know. that when that happens. And so we have a lot to read. <laughs> it is, it's wonderful when you find somebody and you have this, you know, this sense of discovery, and then you have nine other books to read by that author, mm-hmm. which, is, which sounds like what you did. Yeah. You just immersed yourself in, in his style. It's great. And I think also, you know, like, again, these books offer social commentary that engage with me as a woman of color differently than they would for a white reader. But then it also can enlighten white readers to a different perspective of these issues. Um, and that I think that's what I like about both of those books. And they let you, and it's still an escape, you know? It's not something that's in your face. Mm-hmm. Okay. Give me one more. One more. That is so difficult. Okay. Um, 
I'm going to give you two more. Okay. If that's okay. Of course. <laughs> so only because I want to make sure that the, again, I mentioned poetry again, but uh, at the same time, I'm, I'm inclusive. So we have um, Love is an Ex-Country by Randa Jar, which is actually a memoir. And if you haven't read anything by Randa Jar, this one is the one to start with, even though that they have several other books um, from the past. But this one came out during the pandemic. And Libro Mobile was our first um, event where we actually went to the author and oh. we we did did the reading. Um, they were in their balcony smoking hookah while we were, you know, our producer, Carla Sarate, was at the bottom of her balcony videotaping. <laughs> Oh, wow. So creative. We re- creative. Yeah, we really challenged that social distancing. <laughs> um, and so it was, it, it was a great reading, and I really saw a different perspective from, um, from their memoir versus the other books that they have written. Um, and I think also dealing with, um, you know, feeling as a foreign in, their, in this country, and originally, um, you know, they were raised in Egypt, so being a Muslim queer uh, you know, person in, in the U.S., as well as a professor and an author and performer of some sorts. Um, you know, there's a lot of ground that R- Randa covers in their memoir. Mm-hmm. And lastly, because I have to give a shout out to my hometown, um, Gustavo Hernandez is a book that came out, um, again, during the pandemic. And I think a lot of times um, we all you know, don't know how times are going to be for our first book. And Gustavo Hernandez wrote Flower Grand First, a collection of poetry. And Flower Grand First are streets in our city. So um, he delicately waves personal identity, queer identity with um, nostalgia for his, you know, um, his his hometown or, or birth town in Mexico, um, Jalisco, and as well as being raised in Santa Ana. So it's like a love letter to our city. And and I really do appreciate his voice and his perseverance in making this book stand out during the pandemic. So Flower Grand First by Gustavo Hernandez. This is a great list, Sarah. Have you had a chance to read Louise Erdrich's new book, The Sentence? As a, as a writer and a bookseller yourself, I think this novel would speak to you. Have, have you had a chance to look at it? No, but I am putting it on my list to not just read it, but to carry it. <laughs> I can hear you doing that. <laughs> okay. I've jotted down all of yours. You've jotted down one of mine. And I can't wait to talk again sometime soon. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me again, Carrie. Sarah Rafael Garcia. Her books include Santana's Fairy Tales, and she created the Libromobile, a bookstore and exhibit space on wheels in Santa Ana, California. Okay, now to Louise Erdrich. Her new novel is called The Sentence, and it unfolds inside a Minneapolis bookstore where the ghost of a customer won't leave. It also chronicles a year of unrest and upheaval. Louise owns Birchbark Books right across from Kenwood Elementary School. And if you love books and you haven't been to the store, you are missing an essential book lover's experience. 
The space is colorful and warm. There's a handmade canoe hanging from the ceiling and beautiful native arts scattered through the store. The collection of children's books is exceptional, and Louise's booksellers have dozens of wonderful recommendations if you're not sure what to read next. When I asked Louise recently about the book that fired up her imagination, she thought immediately of the author who launched our Talking Volume season this year, Lauren Groff. Talk to me about Matrix. So this was one of those books that kept me up and kept me up. I had no idea about, I I, I didn't know about um, the uh, medieval world of women and being being nuns in the medieval world and what a wealth there could be of emotion and of power and of of intellect you know this was this was a wonderful book on that level but it also captures or it also brings you into as i was talking about consciousness the consciousness of this abbess because it starts with her from the very beginning and how she is exiled from court really unhappily to become this abbess and how she takes charge. And that is just, it's a propulsive taking charge. And there are so many wonderful parts to it that, and, and it's delicious. You know, the food, the the teas, the, 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 the feeling of, of various fabrics. It's it's a very sensuous book. I loved it. Isn't that interesting? It is sensuous. Yes. Yes. And it's in this of a in world. this world of right, right, in this world of kind of deprivation. You were saying other world. Right. But it also is so grounded and in, in, in the work. The it's always about this work that they're doing, like hard physical labor or the labor of copying that we, of course, do with a push of a button, but copying words, inventing beautiful surrounds for reliquaries and for for prayer books, you know, this kind of thing. I, I, I ate it up. So this was one of the books that um, I've, I've loved reading recently. What I thought was beautifully rendered is the way that Marie de France, who becomes yes. the the abbess at this monastery in Lauren Groff's novel, comes into a kind of religious faith that that reflects the experience her as you said, her own intellect and reflects the experience right. of running this community, leading this community. Right. And yet it doesn't – I mean, the people around her would probably be shocked by the things that she believes or doesn't believe. And that was handled so beautifully and kind of gently. And we have – as a reader, I had kind of a revelation. Oh, this is what she believes. Ah, same here. And I i mean, it's even – they. she even has the uh, community er, – put together these physical barriers that really stand in for how how secluded they need to become in order to live out those ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you haven't, although you've done a lot of reading about angels, you have not done a lot of reading about the medieval times. Well, 
I thought I had, but I hadn't. <laughs> you know, I, I, there's a, um, Hildegard of Bingen is, uh, is one of the sources for um, the future home of the living mm-hmm. God and her um, enclosure. Uh, she, she was enclosed, I think from the age of seven within a, a tiny bricked up building right. with another nun. I, and, and then um, I think she came out as, uh, out of the building at some point, but you know, her, the astounding connection that she had with the natural world. Um, it's, but I hadn't really read about these particular nuns and what it was. I, I hadn't read all of this detail, and it's such, such, so rich in detail. Is this a book that you that uh, you are hand selling at Birchbark? When you love a book, how do you handle this at the bookstore? Well, usually I write a shelf talker, uh-huh. or I I was doing uh, blog blog posts or whatever and posting things, whatever. But I haven't been doing that. Um, I just recommend them. I mean, I recommended. I've been recommending the Ministry for the Future with the Climate Talks, mm-hmm. the Kim Stanley Robinson book right now because. It's about the best, it's a very positive book about the future and about possibilities for reversing climate chaos. But, um, and, but it, and it brings to bear all of the technologies and the emotional connections that we have with our world now uh, and how they can be, I don't want to use mature as a verb, so I'm trying to, <laughs> they can be um, developed for the future. It's very good. Very good. And um, so those are two. I'm reading Ghost River by Trevino Brings Plenty. It's a book of poems. But if I can just mention one more book. You can. All right. So I Weiwei's 1,000 Years of Joys and Sorrows. And it's a book about incarceration, but it's also a book about um, freedom of expression, and it's so powerful, it's so beautiful. His relationship with his father, uh, who poet, is is um, it's deeply it's I would say upsetting slash moving, and so in in equal measure. Louise Erdrich, her new novel is titled "The Sentence." She owns Birchbark Books, and she has been hand-selling Lauren Groff's new novel, Matrix. So there are three writers who all own bookstores with the books they've put into the hands of customers in 2021. I'm Carrie Miller. I wish you a happy new year and lots of adventurous reading in 2022.
Oh, 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 oh,